Feminine, whether you're across town or across the globe. And as Abigail Spinner McBride says in that cut opening the show, let the way be open. Well, thank you for joining me tonight uh, as I chat with Jez Hughes, founder of uh, Second Sight Healing, a uh, British shaman discussing the shamanic path, healing the earth, our ancestors, and ourselves. Jez has been working as a full-time shaman for over a decade and runs workshops across the U.K. and Europe. His work has been featured on BBC Radio and in other international media, and tonight we'll talk about his incredible story that led him to heal himself through shamanism and how we might bring ancient indigenous wisdom into our modern world and make it relevant. Jez will explain the role of the shaman, namely being the one who ensures the balance between humans and the natural world. Our conversation will also delve into his work with the, let me see if I can pronounce it, uh, his uh, Waratka or uh, Wicholi um, uh, nation of Mexico, uh, helping them in their campaign against mining companies and their lands and learning from their unbroken lineage of 10,000 years. I'll also pick his brain about creating powerful and effective shamanic ceremonies. So uh, you want to stay with me tonight. I think it's going to be a, a fun and informative show. But before we actually start our chat, um, a little bit of housekeeping I'd like to do, uh, some, some food for thought to share. Um, I hope you caught my special uh, food for thought episode on Monday. It was a special event. I had to postpone it from last week because of jury duty. So if you were looking for it last week and didn't find it, uh, it actually got recorded Monday. Um, it was uh, about spiritual morality of caring economics versus our separation of church and state laws here in the United States. I also, uh, because we had some time, uh, threw in a few outtakes uh, that ended up on the cutting room floor when I was interviewed for the film Femme, Women Healing the World. So you might want to go back and check that out if you haven't had a chance yet. Yes, the spiritual morality of caring economics. I think that's a lot of what the sacred feminine is all about. It's about the common good. It's about the we and the us. It's about uh, making sure all our boats 
afloat. It's not about throwing the country into austerity so the rich can get richer, including the big business of war. Do you feel like you've been a doormat for too long? Are you tired of the establishment using the other political party as the excuse why they can't get anything done for the people when it's really because they're in the pocket of corporations? Well, people, I think we have to... To, to just find our spine and take a stand, find our sacred roar. Um, you know, we can't continue to let ourselves be manipulated. It hasn't always been like this, and it doesn't have to stay like this. We can't vote for the lesser of two evils. We have to vote to change the system, not perpetuate it. You know what? Even if you're comfortable, I have to ask you, if you're voting for the establishment, do you really want to change the world, or have you just been giving lip service to it? I'd say do some soul searching. Yeah. Um, you know, it, is it, or, or do you feel like it's more important not to rock the boat? Is it more important to be comfortable? Think about that. Seriously, it's important. Do you care about election and voter fraud? Do you care about stopping fracking? Do you care about getting rid of Citizens United that's giving, a, giving us all a free ride straight to oligarchy? Heck, it's not, a, it's not a ride to oligarchy. We're already there. We're not too far off from being peasants and having royals behind their high walls and tall towers. You know, we don't even have the protection of the fourth estate, a free press anymore, helping to uphold democracy. They're all corporate tools. Even my used-to-be beloved Rachel Maddow, corporate tool. Okay, well... I'll get off my soapbox, but you know where I stand, agree with me or not. And, you know, I think we all have more in common than we're different. But you have to say I have the courage of my convictions, even if it might be safer or more expedient, to keep my mouth shut. But, you know, if I were the sheeple type, if I were shy and timid, if I were afraid, I wouldn't be doing this radio show for a decade, going against the establishment, the patriarchy, the status quo, fighting for the underdog and the oppressed. I haven't been fighting against domination for a decade to just fall in line behind it and behave. Not when we have a real chance. I mean a real chance, perhaps the only chance in many of our lifetimes to really do something significant. I think you all know what I'm talking about. Yes, I'm on fire and I am feeling the burn. And I think that's a great segue to tell you that you ought to burn up the phone lines over at Sage Woman Magazine and get your free copy. A new edition just came out recently, and it doesn't take much effort on your part. Just uh, go grab a telephone and call 888-SAGE-WOMAN. That's 888-724-3966. Mention that you heard this uh, little ad or commercial uh, mention, whatever you want to call it, here on Voices of the Sacred Feminine, and you will get a free sample of Sage Woman magazine, celebrating the goddess in every woman for over 30 years. Sage Woman Magazine brings the wisdom of women's spirituality to over 10,000 women every 88-page issue. You can also check them out online at sagewoman.com. And, you know, while I'm talking about uh, the candidate that's uh, against fracking, yes, Bernie Sanders against 
fracking. The, the candidate that didn't go around selling it to the world, that's right, Bernie Sanders did not go around selling fracking to the world. I just wanted to tell you, if you're a nature lover and want to find a way to express it, commune with it, then you need to check out the book by Joe Corson called Celebrate Wildness. Here's what Dana Corby in her last Ranton Raven blog had to say, and I think it's a good interview. She said, when people wonder aloud how the Wicca of Southern California became so much more nature-oriented and wild than the British traditions from which it arose, the one factor they don't take into account but should is feriferia. Feriferia, a word Fred Adams coined from Greek roots, meaning wilderness festival, is a pagan tradition unlike any other. Based on Fred's visions of the divine feminine, the sacredness of Eros, and the potential for intentional communities that truly do no harm to anything, it also draws upon familiar themes to Wiccans, such as sacred landscapes, prehistoric beliefs, and the fairy faith. Fred intended that Feriferia should lead the world into a paradisal future in which freedom, Eros, and play are the core values, where would built by human hand, emerges seamlessly into the wild and the fae romp among us. Celebrate Wildness is a unique, exquisite, and profound book. It created in me a sort of homesickness, a wistfulness for the idealist I was. We all were, back when we and the world and the magic were all young and fresh. Though it's a short book and only 115 art-laden pages, don't expect to read it quickly. Take your time, marinate in it, let it sink into your subconscious, and what bobs to the surface will be wondrous. Well, those are the words of Dana Corby in her blog, The Rant and Raven, talking about Celebrate Wildness, an oversized, hardbound book on heavy paper. It's available for $45 from feriferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. Yes, indeed. Well, tonight, uh, we turn our attention back to tonight's guest, uh, Jez Hughes, calling in from the U.K. uh, to chat with us about the shamanic past, uh, past healing the earth, our ancestors, and ourselves. Uh, I think we kind of have a theme going here a little bit, nature, our interconnection, and uh, all that good stuff. Let me tell you a little bit more about him before we start our chat. Um, Some of this I already told you, but uh, that was a long time ago, so let me remind you. He's the founder of Second Sight Healing. Uh, He's a British shaman who's worked full-time as a healer for over a decade. He was initiated on the path through a 17-year struggle with mental illnesses and convulsive fits, which he used shamanism to cure himself from. He now teaches and initiates people from the heart of the woods in the south of England. He also runs workshops across the U.K. and Europe. His work was featured on BBC Radio, Channel 4 Television, and in international media. He's also an astrologer, published poet, and he's worked as an actor. And you can find uh, him and his work at his website, which is secondsighthealing.co.uk. And Jez, thank you so much for staying up in the middle of the night to call in live tonight, or this morning. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm kind of used to it. All night ceremonies is, is part of the job, really. 
<laughs> well, is that part of being a shaman, staying up under the stars while, you know, when everybody else goes to sleep, you know, you can kind of maybe more easily quiet down everything and, uh, you know, and connect with the, the, the inner and outer planes? Yeah, I mean, most ceremonies we do tend to be all night, really. Um, they they would start kind of around sunset and, uh, and and go on till dawn. A lot of the ceremonies we do. So yeah, okay. it, I mean, it, it it's about going into the darkness or uh, the mystery, really, and when kind of when our normal senses that we rely on don't have as okay. much power. Therefore, we can yeah. uh, start working with the inner senses, really, no more. Okay. Well, um, it, well, uh, you know, you've you've been doing this a while, but you know, you had a life before you started on this path. Um, you know, how did you start off in life? And you know, was this something that always called to you, or are you surprised that your life took the turn down the path of the shaman? Yeah, quite surprised, really. Um, I, I was. Uh, kind of really growing up a normal lad and uh, in quite a secular family and I was going to be a professional footballer I was signed for a top team in England it was soccer we call it. Um, one of the uh, top teams in the Premier League in England but um, I had a convulsive fit when I was 14 which came out of the blue completely and uh, my whole body was convulsing my eyes rolling around the back of my head and then through that experience um, I then suddenly all the convulsions stopped and I, I found myself awoken to another world really and a profound feeling of oneness, of ecstasy, of, um, of beauty and connection just arose in me but very, um, very strange experience. And my parents were there and they called the doctor but I was, it was like they were a million miles away and I was just completely consumed with the moment. Like I'd been, like I'd, died really and being reborn in this kind of new uh, shining environment uh, it was like the world was completely new so that that kind of came out of the blue and it lasted quite a while and then eventually I managed to go to sleep but um, it kind of unnerved me the fact that these this fit come out of nowhere and then because I had no kind of context for this what I now see as a spiritual awakening it, it, it unnerved me and for Sort of 15 years afterwards, on and off, in, in uh, for periods of my life, I had quite extreme uh, convulsive. These fits would come into my life. I had quite extreme anxiety, psychological disorders, psychotic, semi-psychotic experiences, um, having visions. And what I understand now is I was too open to the other world. The invisible world was flooding into my world, and I had no way of controlling it or in any way finding myself any kind of safety within that and uh, so that was something mad for quite a few years but I was stubborn and strong-willed by nature and I didn't trust Western medicine um, and they didn't really have any kind of thing for it anyway apart from drugs which I didn't I was sure I didn't want to take so I set off on a journey to heal myself and that took me through some Eastern traditions and uh, until I discovered shamanism which was like a feeling of coming home, uh, really coming home back to myself. When I learned about indigenous cultures and then I started training and um, managed to cure myself completely uh, from, the, from the fits, from the mental disturbances. And um, and then wow. it, it felt like because I received such a gift from the spirit, so I had to give back. So that's when I started um, 
on the part of um, assisting others. In, and that's why I tend, I tend to see people when they kind of hit that kind of dark night of the soul, because really it was the dark night of the soul that I kind of wandered through for, for quite a few wow. years. So, Jess, um, uh, you know, forgive me, you know, it's a, it's a popular theme here in the United States these days with, you know, we're finding out the damage um, uh, footballers, you know, uh, experience from, you know, being hit in the head. And I know soccer is a, is a bit different than football, but um, can you track back um, any of this to maybe head injuries um, or, or, or there was nothing like that? No, nothing. No, really, no. Uh, um, soccer is. I mean, the head injuries are less uh, uh, less common here. We get more leg injuries. Really, we get knee knee injury. Uh, and I, the, around the same time, my knee went uh, as well. Um, but no, yeah. there's no head injuries. It was. It was a kind of something that I I now see as a kind of. They call it the shamanic sickness, and it's quite a kind of traditional route into shamanism. It's through particularly through fit. Through or through these kind of mental disturbances, uh, traditional cultures would recognise this almost immediately, and then would send the person to the shaman to to be healed, but also to train to be able to. They would see it as a sign from the spirits, and I and I believe even though we we live in modern worlds, the spirits are still even more so because they're still calling to a lot of people right now. Um, and hence, I, I don't know what it's like in the States, but in the, in the UK, there's a huge rise and a lot of mental illnesses, a lot of uh, emotional problems at the moment. And in a way, I think and there's a lot of people very sensitive because the earth is in, in a lot of pain at the moment because of the destruction that's been wrought upon her, all the, all the, oil, uh, the mining for oil and the taking of her resources. It's causing a lot of um, pain in the earth, and I think sensitive people are open to that and, and are experiencing yeah. that wide variety of symptoms. So that's why I kind of that's... step in with you and uh, and assist people. Well, that's that's an interesting perspective. I hadn't really thought of it like that, you know, because the earth is being so. Um, uh, you know, raped and uh, just, uh, you know, infracted and all of these other things. Yeah, um, uh, you know, people, well, you know, I, I, re- I remember when I was writing my Sacred Places book and I was studying about uh, the sacred sites of women's business, they called it, in Australia, where the Aboriginal women actually felt so connected to the land. If somebody took a you know, say they took a metal rod and and pounded it into the earth, they believed that they could literally feel that. So it reminds yeah. me of that sort of connection, yeah. you know. Yeah. But but as Westerners, we don't really recognize that we're, um, you know, maybe being, um, we're going off kilter, so to speak, because we're reacting to um, the cries of the earth. We I, I guess, you know, we just sort of think we're losing our mind. That that must have been really yeah. scary for you. Yeah, it was. It was definitely. And I think I was terrifying. I mean, I was in kind of constant terror. I write a lot about it in my book, The the Heart of Life, which has just come out. But it was, it was yeah, a constant terror. Face, feeling like I was facing death every day and feeling this, this, this loss of my mind, which is terrifying. I think in terms of what we're, in the West we're taught, we're taught to take everything personally because we come from an individualistic culture. So when we do 
um, set off uh, when we go off kilter. We don't maybe recognize that that could be a lot from a, we could be picking up on from the earth, but the shamanic perspective is much more, it's, it's much less personal really. And um, uh, a lot of the pain that individuals are expressing, because we are part of the earth. We are, even though right. we've kind of lost traditions, we are connected intimately to the earth. And if she's in pain, we, especially the sensitive ones, the ones that would probably traditionally be naturally healers anyway. Well, and I have to ask, uh, for, forgive me, I, I don't mean to be offensive or anything, but, <clears throat> um, I mean, did people think maybe you were ready for a psychiatric ward or something? I mean, did, did, did your family or anything try to commit you, or did you just sort of go off on your own sort of vision quest to try to figure out what in the world was going on in your head? I, I'm very good at hiding things. <laughs> And I, um, I pretty much went off on my own vision quest. The second part, I, 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 I kept a lot of the symptoms to myself. Um, in terms of the psychotic experiences, I would, I would have. They wouldn't completely take me over. I still had that kind of. I still had a thread that kept me into kind of normal, normal reality. And in a way, that made it really. Uh, the contrast between what I was experiencing, the hallucinations and things like that, and and a sense of my, I'm quite stubborn and, and, and my mind would be holding on to a semblance of reality. So I would be kind of um, quietly going mad, like, like a lot of people are, and, and going through that experience myself. And then setting up to heal myself and just like exploring tradition after tradition and, and trying this and that. And some things helped, some things made it a lot worse, to be honest. And, uh, um, but eventually what I realized is my soul was completely detached from my body and it needed to come back in. It needed to come wow. back in. And I had to find ways to do that. And to be honest, that kind of soul loss, which a lot of shamanic healing addresses, is, is something of an epidemic nowadays because we're, we're kind of taught in, in many ways to disconnect from our body. Constantly we're disconnecting through computers, through the media, through kind of... Um, now these things are useful in our lives, but it, we're, we're in a way we're creating a society that's very disassociated. I, I believe because there's a lot of trauma in the body, our physical bodies, but also the earth, and we're trying to disconnect from that pain. We don't want to be reminded. But I feel like, like what you were saying in the introduction before I come on with this, we have to face up to these things. We have to really acknowledge that the, the pain that we're causing the earth we're, we're also causing ourselves and the earth will survive us and, but it's it's really humanity that we need to um we need to get back into balance and that's really the role of the shaman to 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 refine that and to make sure that that balance is kept and we're between the invisible forces that are behind nature the the, the spirits the gods they used to be called as well and to negotiate with them to make sure that human beings aren't forgetting that that interdependence, and, and that's right. really what the healers are about. The ceremonies are constantly about just to reassert that balance between the the, the worlds. 
So, so let me ask you, um, what does that look like? I mean, I, I remember in Hawaii when, um, you know, in the sacred lands of Hawaii, you know, that we have the Polynesians there who some of them are yeah. still very much connected to the land and, you know, weren't mm. taken over by Christian, Christianity. And I remember yeah. when they were trying to build, build a major highway across one of the islands, um, it, the project was just besieged with accidents and delays and they finally went to one of the i'll just call them the you know a polynesian high priest and yeah. uh you know they, they they sort of made uh made amends with the spirits of of the land is that it, it would would you call that shamanic yeah, for sure, definitely. I mean, the the, the Radica you mentioned that we I work quite closely with in Mexico. They um, they resisted the Spanish, uh, and so they kept the traditions very pure. Um, and it goes back at least sort of ten thousand years. No, nobody knows really how much how far it goes back. But they they have the problem is with sacred. Um, they have the sacred sites in the in the desert in Mexico. It's called the Huracuta, and that got um my uh, canadian mining firm got concessions to that three years ago so the radical because they, that would be seen as taken really from their the heart they they believe that the, the oil the minerals and everything is the heart of the earth so when we mine the minerals when we take out this we're actually ripping out the heart of the earth and that's why we need to give back a lot it with offerings and the ceremonies so they're doing a lot wow. of campaigning now to try and... The problem is that most um, indigenous sacred sites are very mineral rich because they realized that that was where the heart was very strong in the earth. And, and then they didn't they did obviously need to mine it. They just talked to the earth and they realized that that's where the real heart was strong. So that's what attracts mining companies to uh, indigenous sacred sites because they're usually full of gold or silver or copper or, or they, they have these minerals um, because, like I say, they realized that that was the heart. So they're, they're doing a lot of campaigning, but it works on many different levels and they're, they're realizing that we have to negotiate because humans have taken so much and without paying the right price, really, without giving the offering. What they what they believe in, what I feel is that the earth is will begin to start getting our attention, and it may get our attention just by connecting us once again to the elements. Really, like the fire will get hotter, or the waters will start to rise. To realise that our, to hopefully we can realise then that these elements we're completely dependent on, and that we're right. also completely dependent on the balance of the elements. So if the fire's too hot, then that's gonna that's gonna hurt us as humans. If the waters rise too much, that's gonna hurt us. But until we get that uh, understanding of that perfect balance that is needed, then it's up to nature to remind us. Well, you know, it's it's pretty arrogant, though. I mean, I think humanity, uh, especially in the West, I mean, we still think uh, that we can dominate nature, and I think she is uh, very quickly showing us that, um, you know, we'll lose every time. But I I think there are a lot of people who are in denial or, or just don't believe it. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I think we need to work on 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 all the different levels, and the, we need to work on the practical level. We need to, and as, again, in your beginning, talking about voting for the right people or or or, or campaigning against fracking, which is starting to be a big issue in England as well, or the UK. And um, we need to work on that level practically. We need to also work on the spiritual level at the same time. We, to do the ceremonies, to try and appease the, the, the angry spirits, really, to give the offerings and to say, look, humanity, we, we, we are trying. We are, there's, there's quite a few of us now waking up and we're all trying to to um, give back a bit more because that's what right. I think that we, we've lost. Is we've, lo- we've taken so much and we lo- we've lost that sacred reciprocal relationship where we have to give back. And that's why a lot of indigenous would spend a lot of their time just offerings, offerings, giving literal gifts to the earth. Because that well, let, let's let, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, first of all, it feels like to me. I mean, you've said yourself a couple times we've taken so much. We do take so much. How could we possibly? pay back enough so that the scales would be balanced, you know? I mean, the oil companies, you know, steal so much of it every day. The, uh, I mean, we have Nestle water, uh, you know, people here taking all the water from California while California is in a drought. And the, I think the CEO of Nestle said water is not a right, you know, is yeah. not a human yeah. right. I, I mean, you know, how could we possibly, I, I mean, I don't know, I guess you know, maybe um, I, I'm not easily appeased, but if I were, the, you know, some of the spirits of the earth, I'm not sure there's anything that you could offer me at this stage of the game that would <laughs> calm me down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, I think we have. To, I think it's a, it's a, it can seem overwhelming. The problems of the earth and the way and how out of balance we are can seem completely overwhelming. So we can only do what we can do as individuals, but also in communities. I think every time that we give of ourselves, we give a little bit of our heart, and and all all shamanic ceremony involves some kind of sacrifice. So you might give your sweat if you're in a a Temescal or a sweat lodge, or you might give your sacrifice uh, uh, eating food or fasting, fasting for four days in a in a vision quest, or um, working. It's always or literally giving coins back because coins have, have been taken from the earth, and that's why they're traditionally a, a, a good offering. But every time we give our energy, we give it, or we might dance all night, and we're giving of our energy. Every time we're doing that, I mean, I work in a in a some land in um, the UK and some woods, and it's amazing when you work on a piece of land for a while, when you're you're constantly giving the offerings, the physical offerings, the coin, maybe the tobacco, the chocolate, the the food, or, but also the the giving of yourself, giving of your heart, giving of your energy. How the spirits of the land wake up, and they do, and it, it comes back to this very magical place. Now, if everyone did that on their kind of plot of land where they live, they might not own the plot of land. It doesn't matter. But if everyone was doing that across the world, I think we would light these kind of these these, these spiritual lights, really. And eventually, maybe it will reach a kind of tipping point, and actually, we'll go much more into the positive. But I think it's a. Right. I think I think faith comes into it. Uh, um, 
acknowledging acknowledging the the dark place we're in i think that's really important and it's the same on any individual healing journey we have to acknowledge if we're in that dark place we have to acknowledge what has brought us there maybe we've made decisions that uh, go against our soul or we've kind of compromised too much and and eventually the body has got sick or, or emotionally we've got sick so we have to acknowledge that where we're at and and release what needs to be released release and, and that's another thing when you're working with some land you can also begin to release some of the trauma from the land through our own bodies through through we do a lot through this kind of wild drumming and, and dancing but also they can release a lot of emotion a lot of tears a lot of grief and often people are releasing not just for themselves but they're releasing the pain of the earth and so we can work in this kind of very interactive way yeah, the problems are huge and, and the balance is so out. But um, retaining that sense of faith and that it is possible and that optimism, I think, is really important. And retaining yeah. a sense of humor as well. A sense of humor is really important, I find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, you're, uh, what comes to mind is um, the Findhorn Institute, I think in Scotland maybe. Scotland, um, yeah. Is, uh, have have you ever done any work there, or uh, any thoughts about no. it? No, I haven't. I mean, I don't. I, I know a lot of people who have lived there and have stayed there, and and I know they do amazing work up there. But I haven't actually ventured. I haven't been up there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because it, that that sort of makes me think about you know people living in harmony and look how the earth um, responds. You know. Um, yeah, I mean that's uh, supposedly a pretty incredible place. I should try to have somebody from Fintorn on the show. Actually, I'm I'm just making yeah, a mental yeah, note that's... here. Um, yeah. So, so it um, it's amazing how nature can ch- how quickly nature can respond to this this kind of work. It is incredible. Like on a literal physiological level, with all the uh, the, the the animals and the plant life. We, if we give on the spiritual level, it's incredible. We can change things, which is very empowering. Well, a lot of kind of destruction, it becomes very empowering. Well, the other thing that comes to mind is, um, oh, I think it's Dr. Emoto who talked about how you can change the molecular structure of water yeah. by pr- by right. praying mm-hmm. over it. I mean, there's some yeah. people who don't don't believe that, um, and, and I don't. Uh, you know, I don't profess to be a scientist, but I know uh, when I took Kabbalah classes, the people uh, at the Kabbalah Center swore that when they went over to Chernobyl and prayed over the waters at the, you know, where where the Chernobyl disaster happened, that nuclear disaster, that the the waters were starting to become. Um, not so toxic, you know. They supposedly had done, yeah. um, you know, exper- you know, scientific experiments to see that the molecular structure was changing, and that that you know that's kind of what you're talking about. You're talking about <laughs> praying on the land, you know, making offerings, exactly. dancing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's all just, so in a way, all, all of that's and, and you know, it may be we might not call ourselves shamans, but if we're doing that sort of thing, if we're praying on at sacred waters, if we're, uh, you know, doing these sorts of things, you know, maybe we're all shamans in training. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, because the world needs it. I mean, I visited a, a, a village in Guatemala once, and, and this village, and there was about 5,000 people there, and it had only been opened up in the 70s that they built a road there, so it's a, a very traditional indigenous village, a Mayan village. And in and, and there, and I think it was one in three, but it might even have been one in two, people were shamans. So it was basically the most popular thing you could do in there. And I think, and I just, it struck me at the time, I wonder what our society would be like if we, if we had that. Yeah. I mean, it would be more difficult yeah. to organise, that's for sure. <laughs> um, the trains might run, not run on time, but, uh, <laughs> but we might have more safety and more ceremony, definitely. Well, yeah, and maybe we would have better qualities of life, and maybe we would, um, you know, have different va- different values, but maybe the right values for a change. Um, yeah. Well, and you also believe um, connecting with the ancestors is also important. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe speak yeah. to that a little bit. Yeah, this is a huge thing, especially in in in. In the West, most shamanic tradition, almost every shamanic tradition, they will have a strong connection with their ancestors. Um, they will have, they will honour their ancestors in in ceremonies, in prayers. Um, they were the, the 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 connection isn't isn't broken now. Unfortunately, in a, in the kind of modern world, that connection has been broken a lot. But what it's also meant is our ancestors have. There's been a lot of this kind of um, quite difficult situation for our souls for quite a few generations now. You only have to look at the last century with the world wars. Most people's ancestors, even the immediate family, when I sit in a group, most people's ancestors have been through some kind of world war or some kind of uh, mass migration. I mean, this is huge. And these are huge traumas that are stored in what I call the ancestral soul. So what tends to happen, unless these things, these traumas are healed, they get passed down the line. And also because we've forgotten how to die, really, as a culture, we we cling to life a lot. And what that does is it it creates ghosts, because unless people, from a shamanic perspective, unless people have resolved everything in their life, but also have a kind of um, uh, a faith in order to step off into the other world, they can get caught in in between, and then that creates ghosts. And what they tend to do is then um, feed off the living, because like everything, they need to survive. So what tends to happen in the, in the healings I do is I have a lot of people come to me and they they say, well, I've worked on this problem all my life. I've tried to heal this, but I just can't get to the source of it, or I'm still I'm still acting out that pattern, or that pattern is still acting out in my life. And what I will tend to do is I'll find it when I go into trance and I speak with the spirits that actually the cause of their their issue is maybe two generations back or three generations back. One of their ancestors would have gone through a lot of trauma. They never resolved that in their life. And, they would, and this grief or this bitterness or this anger or whatever it is, these kind of negative emotions have been just passed down from generation to generation. And... And I believe that's also why we're, there is also a lot of kind of this emotional, psychological sickness uh, uh, that's affecting us in the modern world because these things have been stored up for quite a few generations. And and the time, 
we need to heal that. We need to heal the our ancestral. And you only have to look at certain patterns in your family, and you'll begin to see these patterns that have been passed down. So I do a lot of work in in healing the ancestors. But also the other side of the coin is, I think in the, in the West we we lack spiritual confidence often. So when we start connecting with our ancestors and really begin that healing journey with them, we begin a relationship with our ancestors. Now, our parents are the first ancestors, or, or, or um, if they're in the spirit world, or, or our grandparents, but they're the first connection. If you go back, back in time, we all share a common human ancestor, we also all share a, a common animal further back from the human, and then we go back to the plant life, and then eventually back to the elements. And, and also the condition and then the powers, the gods, if you like, that gave birth to the to the universe, and then great great mystery or the source, which is at the centre of it all. So our connection to our immediate family is actually the first line of that that huge connection that goes back to the beginning of time. So once we begin healing that and connecting with our ancestors, we can actually connect into the source of that. And that becomes very empowering. And and in the West, we're often uh, drawn to a lot of different traditions, and I've worked with different traditions. But I think in order to for these things to feed down the line and the seeds to be planted, we have to we have to plant them, and we have to connect our ancestors. Now, your ancestors may not be from the land where you are, but they need there needs to be a relationship between the spirits of the land and your ancestors. So if your ancestors aren't from the land and uh, they're in the States, uh, that going back, that's um, quite a, most most people really. The ancestors have to be introduced to the spirits of the land, and then and then a lot of different traditions can begin to to flower up as well. So this, so um, as you can hear. I'm I'm very passionate about this side of the ancestral healing. But it begins by, for most people, because the ancestors haven't been acknowledged and because there's been this kind of repression a lot in in our kind of history and emotional repressions and uh, and difficulties, we need to bring healing to it, which begins the journey. Right, right. That's that's uh, that's very interesting. You, you know, you uh, might not automatically think that uh, that would have anything to do with it at all. No, most people don't. I mean, I did, I did a healing for a woman once. I write about this in my book, and and she came to me and she had this long pattern of uh, of of relationships failing, and it was causing her a lot of pain. And by the time she got to me. Um, come to the and she'd explored so many different um, causes of this. Really, she'd gone back to her childhood and all of this, and she couldn't. She never could get to the root of why this pattern kept playing out in her life. So I began the healing, went into a trance, and I, I was immediately um, connected with her grandfather, who was in a really, really painful place, uh, incredibly painful, and um, and I realised. What I could see in the situation was there was a war going on, and he was locked up in this kind of prison. But it felt like the Second World War. That was my uh, instinct with it, and and he was in a very dark, traumatic place. So I had to do a lot of healing with him, and just ho- and in in many of in all of these cases, really, the compassionate witness and and uh, witnessing his pain and his stories. And eventually, I wasn't wow. sure how because he was in a 
explain how he might be able to move on. But then I became aware of his wife, and uh, and she came into my awareness, and I was aware that they were somehow separated, even in death, and that they needed to come back together, but they'd been separated. Um, and so I brought them back to well, I did, the spirit through me brought them back together and then he, they were able to move on. They, they were, they'd both lost each other in the other world. So I, wow. I did this healing and I kind of, um, and then I asked the woman afterwards because I didn't know anything about her family and I said, I told her the story and she looked at me very strangely and then she told me their story that she was actually, although she was English, her grandparents were German and they were, both German Jews, and they got sent, her grandmother and her grandfather got sent to the same concentration camp. But her grandfather died in there, uh, and her grandmother survived, but never really got over him and, and went on to live a long life, but, but was always, never remarried, and was always this, this would always talk about her, her husband who, who had died. And, and there was a lot of grief in that, but so obviously their healing. They needed to come back together. He, they'd been lost to one another, even though they'd both passed over. They still, they still hadn't been resolved because he needed a lot of healing. Um, so it made a lot of sense to her finally, cause it, and that was playing out in her life as a succession of, uh, of failed relationships, broken hearts. It was the same pattern, but it was playing out uh, two generations later. Wow, that's that's pretty incredible. Um, I mean, yeah. So it so it's not just what we do in our life, but maybe what's happened to uh, our families generation back is still having an effect on us today. That yeah. that is just that that's pretty. It's it's incredible and scary all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, that that, that we could be deal dealing with that baggage, you know. Yeah, I mean, it can seem overwhelming, but like I say, it begins with that step of just reconnecting. Um, the, there's a lot of tribes in North America, uh, in, in your land, the Native Americans, that they believe that before that you would do anything of, of consequence in your life or anything that would change the, the community life, you thought about your descendants seven generations in advance. So you thought about what impact that would have seven generations in advance so they were that aware of how these things can change and and our actions and how we live our lives can have this impact that's going forward seven generations and i just think if everyone if all our leaders if, if we in society embrace that um just that simple idea that our actions are going to affect seven generations it would change the world overnight because we'd certainly start thinking on much broader level, we would stop the kind of destructive actions to the earth to realize that this is going to be fed down the line. And also to ourselves, to the, the, it's really important. So, so healing ourselves in life, going on a, and, and connecting with our true selves and, and really finding that journey, going on that journey of who am I, that is so important because that will actually, it's not just for ourselves, we're helping our descendants to come. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, you're making me think about, um, uh, you know, karma, you know, or even uh, even when uh, or the uh, another thing, you know, past life regressions, you know, people who have past life regressions. I mean, it's not their ancestors necessarily, but maybe other lives that they've lived, um, you know, there's 
they've got the baggage from maybe those those lives as well. Yeah, I think often some or sometimes people are connect tapping into their ancestors. It feels personal, but like I say, in the, in, the, in the modern world, we're taught to take everything personal. But sometimes yeah. it could be the answer. But also, uh, yeah, past life stuff definitely. It's it's it 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 all kind of feeds in, really. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what it's like for you to go in trance. I mean, it, do you have like a particular spirit guide that leads you where you need to go, or is it different every time? And you know, how do you achieve a, the? Tr- yeah, yeah, I have. Um, I probably have a kind of a group that I work with. Um, it's um, and really the shamanic path is about developing that relationship with your spirit helpers, and that takes time and it takes a lot of trust on on your behalf. Um, the way I would go into trance is I often use the drum, I'll use a rattle, I'll use my voice. Often I, I will begin to speak the spirit language, so I start speaking in in these strange languages and just I mean because I spend a lot of time going through these convulsive fits and that's how I eventually cured myself because I realized that they were a gateway and I was getting trapped in the gateway um, so I wasn't allowing myself to go through into because what they were doing is they were literally a gateway to the other world but I was because of my fear of leaving and and and, and going into the unknown I got trapped so I so that kind of was my training in many ways to develop that ability to go into trance. And nowadays, because I've been doing it quite a long time, I can I can go in fairly quickly. And not always there's um, there's levels of trance. The drum when we do ceremony in the woods, we we would drum for hours, maybe four or five hours, and that tends to set and and the movement and the repetitive drums that would send people into deep uh, and trance. Some some shamans uh, um, use plants and uh, um, some shamanic traditions, and I've also um, worked with plants myself. Um, but in terms of when I'm working in a healing, mainly it's the rattle, the drum, the voice, and and learning that that ability to surrender really and let go. And to trust, I would imagine too. You know, to trust oh, that yeah, yeah. Um, that that there's really something going on, and it just you know, it isn't just some sort of mass hallucination. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that takes years. That takes years. Because even if you want to trust, like I did at the beginning, I, I loved this stuff and I thought, yeah, I want to trust. But there's, there's so much conditioning. Um, we're taught from, like, from a child to disbelieve or that it's just imagination. Um, no one knows what the imagination is, really. People say, oh, it's just imagination. Then I'll ask people, what is, an imag- what is the imagination? Then? Where does it end? Uh, in, from a shamanic perspective, the imagination is a doorway. We can go through that doorway. And then if we go far enough, then it becomes something much more than the imagination. It becomes like we enter a dream state uh, and the spirits become tangibly real. But, I mean, I've had them materialize physically, pick me up, take me... So after and and to be honest, when they do materialise really physically, in and start manhandling me, that can still be a bit freaky after all these years because you kind of it's just wow. when the other world becomes so strong in this world. Uh, but it's so yeah, why a lot would of why would well, why would they do that? I mean, what would be the purpose? To manifest physically. 
Uh, well, and to you said pick you up and move you around. Um, you well, know, I've, I've been in a ceremony once, and and I I needed to get through, the, and it was pitch black. We were in a pitch black ceremony, and and I needed to get through to the front. So they just picked me up and they guided me, literally. So ah. I didn't. Uh, um, or or sometimes they, because the shamanic, we, we when we invoke the spirits, we actually we're inviting them into our body as well, and that's how. That's how I get my protection and my power, and that and they're the ones that do the work. So really, we have to learn to have a, that kind of a very visceral relationship with them. I need to learn yeah. to to know when they're fully embodied in me. So I, I, right. my body, I, I give my body as a vessel. Really, it's, it's what we call the hollow bone. I, I just become hollow and as hollow as possible. And to be honest, most of this path really involves kind of just one sentence and that's learning how to get out the way and that takes yeah. and, and full as that sounds that that's the hardest thing to really be able to hollow out and so sometimes when they and sometimes they just need to let us know that they're real because we can go through doubts and 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 uh all that kind of stuff so they, they need to really let us know and when they materialize physically then you know so do you think we all have the ability to become that hollow bone and be able to, um, you know, to have them um, communicate with us, um, you know, to, to sense them? I believe we do. Some people don't, but I believe we do. I mean, if you go back to um, some really ancient um, cultures, uh, like the San Bushmen in the Kalahari Desert, they don't have shamans. All they, what they will do is they will do ceremony and they will raise up the power and raise up the power and then the person who gets most full of power in that ceremony will then do the healing. But they don't necessarily have individuals who do this. And I think, I think yeah, obviously some people, it's like some people are more adept at music, some people are better sportsmen and it's a, it's a kind of a natural talent. Um, but we can all learn to sing and we all can learn to dance well I struggle to dance but we can all learn to uh, <laughs> play music um, to a certain degree so yeah I believe that that potential yeah because we're all human yeah yeah um, because because you know I, I had an interesting experience once and I always wondered um, if it was my imagination or wishful thinking uh, or if it was the drugs that, that you know, the dentist had, um, you know, injected me with. But, you know, because I'm kind of a skeptical Virgo, you know, and <laughs> I had this ex- this so experience where uh, – I'm sorry? I just said I've got a lot of Virgo in my chart, so I, I can relate to uh, that. But sorry, Good. Sharon. Okay, so – so you know what I'm talking about. And, you know, I yeah. had to go have a, um, you know, a, a pretty heavy-duty procedure in the dentist's office, and I was really worried. And I won't go into why I was worried, but I just suffice it to say I was worried. And, you know, going to the dentist's office, I, I, my husband was driving me, so I was sort of doing this mantra over and over again, you know, that, you know, would the goddess protect me and guide the doctor's hand and that sort of thing. And, you know, and, I, yeah. and maybe I was almost in sort 
sort of a pseudo trance by the time I got yeah. there, you know, just just from having done that. But then, you know, during the course of the time where I was laying on the dentist chair and I still was trying to keep the trance going in my head because I wanted to distract myself and and I would it was a form of prayer too. I really had this sensation that uh, I had my first auditory experience to tell you the truth, you know, I I really thought I heard the goddess Isis speak to me, and I had the sense that the the dentist chair became her body. And so effectively, you know, I was laying on her body, and she took her wings and wrapped her wings over my body as like a form of comfort or protection. And it was such a powerful experience. I knew something really happened to me, but, you know, the Virgo in me, you know, it was like, okay, so was it, you know, was it self-induced? Was it the, you know, the, the drugs that the doctor gave you, you know, or did you really connect with something, you know, and you're making me think, well, maybe I did become the hollow bone, you know, is there a way to know? You, you know, but there's an interesting thing. There's a, uh, a guy called Fool's Crow, who was a very famous medicine man from the last century, and again from North America. And he, he said something very interesting once, I thought, and he said, the difference between the Indian and the white man is the Indian believes to see where the white man has to see to believe. And I think that there's a key there that we have to let go of the doubt. The doubt the, uh, and, and those voices, did I just make it up and... Uh, Discernment is right, and that's what Virgo is about, is to have discernment. But in the experience, I think we have to let go to the experience and then to trust that there's mystery as well and there's things that our mind can't explain. And the more you ask, how do you know the difference? I think the more you, do, the more you open up to it and the more you open up to, these, to this, this mystery and the fact that this was a... I mean, it sounds like a very real experience. I would... That would be my judgment of it, that it was very real and you did have that connection. And um, the more we open up to that, the more it actually happens. Um, and then you can... And, I mean, it, there, was a, there was a danger to go into fantasy, of course, but then what I find is if I go into fantasy, the spirits will trip me up. So something in my life will kind of uh, go a bit wrong or... I, I will just kind of, or if I get too cocky as well, if I think, ah, oh, yeah, I can open up every time. Every time when I open up the spirit, I have to, I have to go through that process of thinking, will this happen? I don't know. Will they come? It's no, nothing's ever guaranteed. I have to kind of, I just have to just turn up really and drum and and pray and a little like what you were doing, just pray, pray, pray. That's the that's the best tool to open it. Yeah, yeah, because I, I honestly do believe that something happened, you know, beyond, um, yeah. you know, I mean, because it was, uh, I mean, and also afterwards, I was, I was emotionally exhausted. It felt like, um, uh, I, I, like I had run fifty miles or something, you know. Yeah. I mean, it just took everything out of me too. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's it's interesting. You know, I've I've heard that uh you know, to do that kind of trance work often, you know, uh it it helps if you're 
uh, sleep deprived or don't have you know or or you don't have a lot of food or alcohol in your body i mean do you find any anything like that is tr- is true you know that that helps induce yeah, a trance state yeah definitely i mean it, what the, the initiations i do in the woods they they're quite extreme i mean it, it, we have to kind of heighten the awareness and often and that the best way to open up the spirit is through trauma uh that's why people who like, like I was saying at the beginning, who have gone through a lot of trauma in their life, they're often the natural healers um, because tr- trauma blasts our, our, our soul open, and that's the. But what we're trying, and that's why the shamanic sickness can often be so strong, is because that will open us up. It will t- engulf us. It takes us over. What we try and do is to do that consciously, so we're not in the trauma, but putting the body under stress, like fasting, like. Um, walking or dancing for a long time, put it and um, sleep. Yeah, we do that in the woods all the time. We we kind of go without sleep. It 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 blurs the lines between our kind of everyday conscious, which is all consciousness, which is always trying to keep control and measure things and, and say, well, this is the time for sleep and this is the time for this and this is the time for that and then I have to do this and all that everyday consciousness that gets in the way. We have to we have to kind of get that out of the way and, and doing those things helps to get it out of the way and it also right, sends it right. it's what we're kind of really doing is we're learning to consciously dream because we do this stuff and that you say can it, anyone learn we do this everyone does this every night anyway people may not remember their dreams but in our dreams we can often uh, especially those big dreams the ones that become very technicolor and um, have deep meaning to us or the, the, the lucid dreams we're, we're learning to, our soul is actually leaving our body. Um, and we're learning to, we're learning these things. So when we're going into the trance world, we're learning to consciously dream. And that's why we have to go into this kind of similar, similar state. Just that it's like that kind of, that liminal zone, being just enough right. aware, but actually you're, you're kind of going into a dream state. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's so, sort of like what you said. It's it's sort of getting out of the way. Um, yeah. And yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, one of I, you know, my almost final question. Um, <laughs> you know, from all from from all of this work you've done, Jez, what do you what would you say to someone who asks you? So, what do you think it's like on the other side? I mean, have you gleaned? Any um, awareness of what to expect when your days on this earth are over? Yeah, yeah, I, I feel I have. In, 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 and I, again, I write about this a bit in the book. Um, but there's been certain ceremonies and certain experiences I've had where I've literally left my body, and 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 I felt like going through that 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 veil, if you like, into the other side. I my feeling is that that. It is an ecstatic. Well, to die is an ecstatic experience, and and how we how I will continue personally, I feel is is there's there's many many more worlds to explore. There's many more experiences to be had. Death is and and because of, death is almost like an everyday thing with me when I'm working in healings and like I say with the ancestral work, working with the ghosts of the dead, talking to them, bringing back very specific information. Uh, for for people, so my the dead often need as much healing as the living. But my experience is that there is, like I say, it 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 
Yeah, it just gets better. Yeah. The, on the other so, side. so there's no. So there's so you you wouldn't so for the person that thinks you know when they close their eyes it just goes black and there's nothing you would say no that's not the case at all. No, yeah, I would say that. I mean it's uh, sometimes and what is 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 a tragedy sometimes is that you I bump into people that have died and they they don't believe that there is any life after death and then they can get trapped. In 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 the earth uh, attached to the earth because they're afraid to leave. But I would say there is there's many many different worlds. This is only such a small part of it, and and the the, the mysteries of the the un, of the other world. It, it's I mean I I've, I've only explored a tiny tiny the most minuscule part of the mystery. The the mystery is beyond uh, comprehension, and when we when we leave our bodies, we have an opportunity to to explore a little bit more of that mystery. And some of us right. may come back, like you say, with past lives. Some of us may come back into the earth. Some of us may um, travel into other worlds, in other worlds. Some of us may so, stay in between and help. So, so do you? Did you just say hell? Do you think there's a hell? No, no. Some people may stay behind and help. Oh, and help, so they, and help, okay. Yeah, they might become the, the spiritual allies that the, that help people, the guides for other people, for living people. I see. Well, say you, say you, um, you know, you, you know, the uh, like that couple uh, who was separated. Um, do lovers re- reunite on the other side, like you know, husbands and wives who are like truly uh, connected? Uh, I mean, is it likely that they go on together uh, and they're together on the other side, or is that unlikely in, in your mind? My feeling is that yeah, it's likely we often go and join our, our descendant, our, our, our ancestors, and we join our family um, because because the, and that the bonds that are made, and, and that's why it's important. And a lot of this path, really, beyond all the kind of magical and the transformational, that a lot of this path is just learning to be in the heart and and learning to. Um, connect to other people from the heart and, and be in circle and, and connect to our partners, our, our husbands, our wives and our children, our families and from the, that real heart place and I think those heart bonds, they, they transcend death, definitely. Lovely. Well, um, I, I, I don't have any other questions um, for you. Is there anything you'd like to share that maybe I haven't thought to ask you? Um, uh, no, I think we've covered quite a lot, really. I mean, it's just like I say, it's the the uh, in, and it's on the, the same kind of thing I was saying at the end here that we also learning to be shamans and 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 that's what we do, and I teach that. But also we have to learn to be human. We have to learn to what it means to be human. Uh, a lot of indigenous cultures, they don't believe we're born human. We're born it from the spirit world. But actually learning to be human is, takes time. Many, many initiations. You mentioned the Australian Aboriginal and some of their tribes. A person would have to go, say, through 50 initiations before they were declared human. 
And by then they would probably be an elder. They'd be in their sort of 50s or 60s. And they would be declared, now you are human. And I think a lot of this, we, we can learn these magical t- um, techniques and the, we need to learn the healing. But a lot of this is we're all on this path together you know, on the earth really to learn what it means to be in a body. Because this is such a sacred thing to actually... And, and by learning that, we can also learn to, what it is to really connect to the mother and to, to the earth and, and call her home. And I feel that that's what's... We're very disconnected in the modern world from the earth. And, we're di- and that means we're disorientated. And when people are disorientated, they don't feel safe. And when people don't feel safe, they, they act up. So they act up in destructive ways. And that might be on an ind- individual level or a societal level. So I feel that if we can come home to ourselves, really know what it is to embody ourselves, and then we can come home to the earth and really know what it is to connect to the earth in that really deep way, then a lot of these problems that beset the modern world, uh, from the big political society problems, but also to the individual, we can begin to heal. It's like, it's, it's finding that place. Yeah. Well, you know, I I, uh, I guess I, I say naively, but uh, I naively dream of a new world, and I, I yeah. hate to use the word naively. So let me just say, I dream of a new of a different world where we can spend our days um, exploring the kinds of things you've talked about. You know, exploring. Um, oh, you know, just all the different. Um, dimensions there is to life rather than wasting all of our time uh, trying to pay bills and work in two jobs and all of this yeah. other crap that really doesn't mean anything, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree to that. I, I, that sounds like a great dream. <laughs> I'll dream that one with you. So, I'm sorry, say again? I said I'll dream that one with you. Okay, okay. Uh, maybe if we can get enough people dreaming that dream, we can actually manifest that uh, that, yeah. that, new, that new that new normal. Well, Jez, yeah. please tell uh, tell listeners um, the name of your book and your website and any other things you have going um, that you'd like to share. Okay, um, yeah, thank you. The book is called The Heart of Life shamanic initiation and healing in the modern world and it covers a lot of the topics that I've been talking about and goes into quite a bit of depth about my own journey and also um, the healings that I've done and, and stuff like that um, it's available on Amazon in Barnes and Noble in the States and all the kind of big bookshops um, it was out in November so it's, it's been out about six months now um, and it's yeah, it's, a, it's just a really exploration of how we can bring this stuff, but also make it relevant to us in the modern world because I think that's really important. That it's not just we 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 need to learn from the indigenous people, and they've been amazingly generous in in sharing their medicine and their ceremonies. But also we need to kind of I feel um, make it real and relevant for the, us in the modern world, and, and we can and then we can mix and, and uh, the two. The two worlds, and, the, and like you say, dream that new world. So that's the book, well, the heart of life. And, sorry, yeah. I, I'm sorry. Say, say again. I lost those last few words. Yeah, I was just going. That's the book. It's the heart of life. It's 
the heart of life, the heart of life. And your website is secondsighthealing.co.uk. And I want to thank yeah. you for all the different ideas you've given uh, listeners that where how they can actually, you know, honor the earth and do their own little mini rituals to, um, you know, help facilitate that uh, that healing of the earth and maybe even open themselves up to. Um, you know, new shamanic dimensions that they might not have uh, been open to before. Mm, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's really, really good. really great. Well, I've, in, I've enjoyed the talk and, uh, you know, very, very informative, very insightful. And uh, thank you so much for staying up all night uh, to be able to talk to <laughs> listeners. I, I, I really do appreciate it. I'll be going into a in a minute. <laughs> and I would imagine if anyone wanted to contact you for any kind of a healing or anything like that, they just uh, find you at the Second Sight Healing uh, yeah, website. There's, yeah, there's a yeah, there's an email, uh, um, and I do do a distant healing. I I was in the states actually. I was in California in uh, last month or no March, um, and I did a I did a workshop here near Joshua Tree. Uh, uh, in the desert there, which is amazing. So hopefully I'll be back there again, sort of October, November time. Oh well, well you know what? Please let me know if you are down in Southern California again. I'd like to know. Who knows? Maybe we uh, might be able to connect or something. And you know, you oh, sh- uh, bi- uh, your bio. You should put the name of your book in your bio. <laughs> oh, did I not do that? <laughs> Okay. All right, Jess. Thank you so much. And, um, yeah, you know, um, I, I, I'm glad glad you finally worked it out so that uh, you can do your important work in the world. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Good, all right, good night. Or good morning. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, oh, so much, so much good information there. Um, yeah. And, uh, again, uh, his book is called The Heart of Life, and the name is Jez Hughes, Jez, J-E-Z, Hughes, H-U-G-H-E-S, The Heart of Life. Well, uh, just a heads up, um, I will be off the air next week. I'm going to be taking a little mini vacation. I'm going to be doing some searching on Ancestry.com. Isn't that interesting? Jez was just talking about the importance of connecting to our ancestors. Um, You know, for a long time, I have wanted to uh, make time for this, and I never have, so I've decided to use some of my vacation to actually do that. And uh, maybe I'll be doing some of that trance work that Jez talked about too uh, because this is definitely going to be one of those easygoing vacations uh, reading books uh, sitting outside under the sun not uh, not running a hither and yon like a mad woman uh, trying to see this or do that this is just going to be about relaxation, contemplation uh, and just uh, really taking it easy uh, my husband has been wanting to try out some new low-carb uh, recipes, and you know what? I cannot say no to a man who wants to be in the kitchen, especially if he cleans up after himself, or hopefully, anyway. So please, uh, do dig into the archives next week. Um, it, you know, cause if you're used to having uh, the show as your Wednesday fix, Uh, There's lots of other good stuff there. There have been some great shows this year, and 
you know, I'm sure you didn't hear them all. Uh, I want to thank you all again for the wonderful comments that uh, you send into the show. I really do appreciate those. Uh, you continue to be the gas in my tank that has kept me going for this decade. Um, so I, I would just say please have a wonderful week. Um, remember, uh, I am um, a life coach, and if you're looking for someone to help you uh, do some, uh, to facilitate some changes or to lead a more goddess-inspired life, uh, you can connect with me. I do life coaching over Skype, um, uh, very affordable, and uh, uh, also please uh, go to my website, KarenTate.com, check out my books and all the, the free stuff there. So uh, have a wonderful week, uh, my dear listeners, uh, until we meet again in June. Yes, it will be the first, uh, the first week in June, the first Wednesday in June when I am back with you again. Uh, has this year not flown by? Uh, yes, indeed it has. So uh, I will leave you with this, uh, with, with this prayer of sorts, with this closing, with this blessing. That's it, with this blessing. May the great she embrace you in her golden wings. Yes, indeed. May the great she embrace you in her golden wings. And here's just a little bit more from Abigail Spinner McBride, The Sacred Way. 